Hello, everyone. This is Ryan, one half of the titular wrestling purists. You'll hear this little intro before each one of the lost episodes. So before this podcast was started, I got my break into podcasting in 2020 with a podcast called Podcast World Order, also known as PWO. Jeff was known on their show as the resident wrestling purist. On their YouTube channel, I would have a weekly show called Referee's Discretion that turned into the ref bump with Jeff, which then turned back into Referee's Discretion, but this time with Jeff. Uh, shortly after that, I decided to leave PWO to start the Wrestling Purist with Jeff. So I owe the name of the Wrestling Purist to Jeff and my break into podcasting to the guys at PWO. Thank you, everyone, for the support. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Check out the Wrestling Purist on all social media at WPPod1. That's WPPOD1. And I hope you enjoy some of my early work as a reviewer. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Referee's Discretion. My name is Cod Sinclair. And today we have part three of our four-part trick-or-treat series. Uh, this series is four weeks of, of reviews from WCW's Halloween Havoc pay-per-view event. Um, as you already know, for each review, I'll be joined by someone you've seen on PWO WrestleCast. And for today's episode, it is something special. Um, another show creator of, of ours from our YouTube channel, uh, the host of Creative Control, and it is Mr. Patrick Lilly. Pat, how are I you doing this morning? fantastic this morning. Excellent, excellent. Um, this was, this was definitely a marathon, um, show for me to put through. So, um, I hope it, I hope it wasn't as tough on you as it um, was on me. It was honestly, it was kind of refreshing to go back and look. I mean, obviously you've been watching a lot more of the old nineties WCW with your show going on. Um, but this was really fresh, especially, um, you know, growing up a WCW guy, and being a big NWO mark, uh, you know, this being so fresh after the NWO started, um, it was really good. It was, it was good to go back and watch. Good, good. Um, so we are taking a look at WCW Havoc 1996, taking place from the MGM Grand, which seemed to be um, the epicenter of all big grand uh, WCW pay-per-views around the time. Um, if... Um, if you turn on this event and you don't know who it is sponsored by, um, you must have your blinders <laughs> on because this is sponsored by Slim Jim. Um, you have you have four logos in uh, you, you have four logos in the ring. Um, the ring posts have the big Slim the big Slim it Jim wrapper like on boxes, it. Um, the, the Slim Jim boxes you pull them out of. Anyway. Yeah, huge. Just the, the, this is a huge deal, and this was obviously the height of. The um, you know whole macho man snap into a slim gym. Um, I can tell you now that as a kid walking through the hallways at school, you were you were telling everybody to just snap into a slim <laughs> gym, and you did not care. And macho man, of course, being in the main event, which, mm-hmm. we'll, get, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, so just a little bit of backstory about how we kind of got here. Um, we're only a few months removed from Bash of the Beach, nineteen ninety six. 
um, which, as we know, was the big uh, Hulk, the the big red and yellow Hulk Hogan heel turn. Um, he was the third man um, that, as he was with the Outsiders, uh, took on Sting, Lex Luger, and Randy Savage, uh, representing WCW. Um, but this was uh, but this is widely regarded as one of the one of the most shocking moments in professional wrestling history. Um, as well as one of the greatest heel turns in professional wrestling history. Um, how do you, how do you remember this as a kid? Um, just seeing this all go go down. Uh, you know, the crazy thing was is I it, I was in that age where it was kind of perfect because I grew up a Hogan fan. Hogan could do no wrong for me, but I was also like old enough, and I had a teenage brother that. Like Hogan becoming the bad guy was the cool thing, and and Nash and Hall coming and, and starting the war was the cool thing. Um, so I I was all in. I was all in on NWO. Um, I loved it, and like they could do no wrong, even though they were of course doing, you know, all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see the uh, the Nick Patrick on the payroll. Uh, throughout this pay-per-view. <laughs> just oh, so good just to have somebody in your back pocket, I guess. Yeah, um, and, and conveniently, like, he was booked for all, like, all, all of the NWO matches. Like, what a, what a bad hole in the storylines in retrospect. <laughs> like, WCW knew he was on Hogan's payroll, but for some reason, he was still being booked all these NWO matches. <laughs> It's 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 really great though because um, uh, from this pay per view we're only a couple of months out and I'll review this in January uh, but it was at that time WCW NWO sold out and Nick Patrick was the referee in every yeah. single match and and I think I think the the role fit perfectly for him around this time because there was nobody like him at the time I think that was villainized as, as an official at least not until um, November of you know 1997 you know when we had Earl Earl Hebner and the Montreal screw job um, but there was nothing like like this going on in professional wrestling at the time yeah it was great so it was really yeah um, but we opened up to the set design it, it is peak excellence um, this is what modern professional wrestling is missing right now. And it is just the set design. Um, I get that. It's, you know, I get you know, that it's, that is cost efficient, I guess, to uh, just kind of have the set, set design for all of your events. Um, but, the, but, but in the late nineties, early two thousands, even with WWF, um, they would have just these incredible, just elaborate set, set designs. Um, you see all you see all of the tombstones around and, you know, the fog coming, coming through as, as wrestlers were coming out. It was, this is, this is peak set design in my, in my opinion. And I'm a, I'm a mark for that, especially, especially Halloween Havoc. All, um, all of them were, were very unique, but the funny thing kind of about the, the Halloween Havoc one here is it almost looks like they stole an old in your house from WWF and turned it into a Halloween theme. Yeah, yeah, and then just threw some tombstones on the yeah. ground. And just it it worked though. I loved it, and um, 
Um, and they even mention it as, um, as we have Tony Schiavone, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Bobby the Brain Heenan, all on commentary. Um, and they and they even mention it. And they are all um, wearing the uh, WCW Howling Havoc polo um, as sponsored by Slim can, I, can I say also, um, after watching Bound for Glory last night, which we're going to review uh, during Monday's uh, WrestleCast show, um, God, just here in... Dusty and the brain and you know Shivani was the worst out of the three and he's probably one of the better color commentators right now in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it just shows you um, how how bad color commentating is right now in the business, it, kind of across the board. Yeah, like Impact is awful. WWE's shows outside NXT is awful. Um, and even AEW's booth is not great. Um, it really, you forget how a good color commentator can add so much to a match. Um, D- Dusty and the Brain are fantastic all night. And um, it, it's just really it's kind of a lost art right now. Yeah. Um, they really pop for this first match though it is for the wcw cruiserweight championship as you have dean malenko taking on mario jr um i think both of their themes in the mid 90s were just were just two underrated wrestling themes um i mean compared to the generic stuff we have today um just two great themes here um malenko coming out with ray's mask in his hand um there is a spot in in about the first quarter or um, where you have Rey Mysterio re- reclaim the mask that was stolen. And in the middle of the ring, he does like some kind of weird mask switch yep. and doesn't show his face. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I just found that just to be amazing, um, but didn't see his mask, which was which was great. Um but 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 this match overall was just incredible to watch, um, and it's and it's crazy to think that Ray that that Ray Mysterio even in a limited capacity in 2020 um, is still going, and can still pull off a lot of these moves that he was doing in 1996. It um, also goes to show everyone that Dean that 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 Dean Malenko is very underrated. Um, but I think that when um, I, I think when WCW got bought out, um, there's so many things. There's it's just the mold of his character. I thought would have fit with WWF, and it just didn't. Um, but uh, this match overall was absolutely great to watch. Uh, the cruiserweight division in mid to late '90s WCW was the best thing on television, um, and it was mainly because of these two guys. Um, we had a lot of other guys we'll get to another cruiserweight match later in the show. Um, but, um, the finish is, you know, um, Mysterio goes to the top rope. Dean, Dean Malenko follows up. Ray goes for, Ray goes for his floor, Conrana. Uh, Malenko throws him off. Ray jumps back up, but Dean Malenko catches him and hits a gut wrench power bomb from the top to get the win. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on this one? So, off the bat, uh, this was probably as far as work rate goes the match of the night. They opened really strong. Um, you got to forget how good Rey Mysterio was because, unfortunately, 
he went to WWE, he really, you know, clearly bulked up to a point where what was so great about him, uh, you know, was lost. He had such, you know, he said he still has agility and he still ground well, but he really was incredible early in his career. And I liked also that they went with a non-traditional finish. Malenko getting the win, you know, it's believable that, uh, you know, he'd get a three count off a gut wrench powerbomb off the middle rope. And, uh, you know, that's cool because it seems like every match nowadays, like you have to hit your finisher or it has to be a roll up. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of, it shows you like, oh yeah, you can have matches where like you can have a big impact move, get a three count. And it doesn't have to be like a steal or my finisher. So yeah, yeah, hundred, a hundred percent agree. And I think that's the trend that uh, that we've seen just going through this, going through this series this this month is that um, is that the less conventional finishes to matches have just enhanced whatever was going on the past 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, um, and it and and in a way it it just enhances even the storyline overall to where even um just to pull an example um from from having 92 um the first match it was a it was a six man match you had you had a team of three and and it was your younger guys and then the other team you just had these three grizzly vets and you know fast paced action back back and forth and then and then and then they get an O'Connor roll to get the win. Um, you don't see that now nowadays. Um, but it but it but it was believable because now you're looking at it as you know even though even though we're veterans we can get caught like this. A- anybody can get caught. But now like like you said it's gotta hit the finish. Gotta make sure. Gotta make sure you know the match is finished. Um, but. Um, I, I gave this a two count. Um, it's equivalent to a four star match. Um, it was hard hitting. It was fast paced. Um, it didn't feel like 20 minutes, but it did feel like it kind of, um, it was kind of drawn out a little bit. Um, but overall, I love this match. Um, did you, did you grade uh, this match yeah, at I all? I went with a, a two and a half count. Um, okay. False finish, if, if you will. Um mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the match. I thought, as I said, work rate was the best match of the night. Um, They did a really good job of letting Malenko control early on and slow it to his pace until Ray really got going towards the end there. Um, So it really showcased what both of them were very good at. I thought it was, I just thought it was a really good match overall. Oh, yeah. Um, So immediately cut to that. We have Lee Marshall backstage saying that Ric Flair is unable to face the giant. Um, but one man has stepped up to the challenge and it's double J. Jeff Jarrett um, says pretty much that the NWO hasn't impressed him. Um, goes on to say that even though the giant has chokeslammed almost everyone, uh, that he won't chokeslam me. Um, out of the shadows comes Ric Flair. He's there to support. Um We'll get to that match a little later, but then cut to our next match. Um, it is Diamond Dallas Page versus Eddie Guerrero. Um, this 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 feud um, essentially started over the Battle Bowl Championship ring. Um, 
which Diamond Dallas Page originally won, um, but then it was shown that he was actually eliminated from the match by, by the Barbarian. Uh, so he did not get the championship match, but he still stole the ring. Um, so now it's a big whodunit um, as far as who has the ring now, because at first Eddie stole it and now nobody can find it. Um, so this match really didn't do a whole lot. Lot for me, um, it was it was almost really disappointing when you when you consider yeah. that like you hear Eddie Guerrero and DDP, you're like, okay, this is going to be a match of the night contender. They're really under underwhelmed. Yeah, um, this um, I kind of had to take a step back um, because this wasn't late '90s Diamond Dallas Page yet. We were still. Um, we were still mid mid nineties where he was still transitioning out of, out of this mouthpiece uh, role that he, he was in to slide into this in ring, this in ring performer. Um, I think it's a tale of two matches. Um, when you, when you have diamond Dallas page controlling the page, um, just the match overall just takes a huge hit. Um, but then I think I think when you have Eddie Guerrero leading the pace a little bit, I think that I think that DDP matches that and gets there to the best he can. But even then, it's still a lot better um, than what we got. Uh, but but the finish is, is is that we get Eddie Guerrero um, to to the top rope, a huge crossbody on onto the outside, um, back in the ring. DDP catches him. He hits a neutralizer, a sit-out powerbomb, and then a kind of sloppy, still kind of green diamond cutter um, to finish off Eddie Guerrero. Um, I gave it a one count. Um, it's equivalent to like a two count or a, or a two-star match. Um, it was fine. I just don't think um, the styles really meshed that that well. Um, and even if they didn't, I feel like it could have been booked to a point where Guerrero could have taken the lead calling spots and it wouldn't have looked as clunky as it did. Um, what did you think? Yeah, pretty spot on again. Go one count. Uh, I did not. Uh, it's exactly what you said. You expect more when you hear DDP, Eddie Guerrero. You're just expecting more from that match. And uh, Looking at the card before going back and watching, that, that's probably the biggest disappointment of the evening for me. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to Mike back backstage with the macho man, Randy Savage, um, announcing the winner of a sweepstakes they had um, for the Randy, Sla- the Randy Savage, excuse me, Slim Jim monster truck, which um, I hope it's what we see at the end of this show, because that thing was immaculate. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but this whole segment is just great overall. Um, Savage is great. Tanae is just slightly awkward. Um and the best part was, uh, was as far as the sweepstakes goes, there was a, there was like a cylindrical tube and it was designed to be like a Slim Jim wrapper and <laughs> the top was supposed to just pop off and you have Savage there just trying to like bear hug this thing to just rip it off and he's struggling. And this is Pete just, you know, today just trying to stretch a little bit of time, um, but it's great. And then, um, and then, and then he asked the uh, woman who wins the truck for a ride, which just cherry on top of the cake as just, you know, Randy Savage in just, in just that tone of voice, just, you know, asking some random woman for a ride. It's just <laughs> chef's kiss there. 
Um, but then transition. Um, Jericho's at the computer area, um, looking slightly confused. Um, then back to Mike, Mike Tanay, who is now with the new WCW Cruiserweight Champion, Dean Malenko, and he asks who's next. He says it does not matter. The title is staying with him, and he welcomes all comers. That's one thing I noticed about the show, though, is that the transitions, they weren't really put well together. It was just, hey, here's a match. Here's a transition because this, this is what we feel like we need now after this match. Or even just now, it went from it went from you know one cutaway to another one, and then to another one, and then we're getting ready to go to another one. Yeah, and then there was right a lot of interviewing between matches. I don't know if that is to give you kind of like a more of a sports feel. I don't know if that's what they were going for. Um, I don't know. It just seemed it seemed like you said not. Not great. It didn't. It didn't keep things flowing well. Um, yeah. So we get. Uh, so up in the crowd, they have this NWO corner over in over you know part of the over part of the fan area, and before every NWO match, you get Ted DiBiase coming out, um, and he and he is always and he's always with Virgil who doesn't do anything this match except for stand there and walk walk whoever's competing through the crowd, and then that's it. And then that's all he does throughout the entire show. Oh, he's a, he's um, a LA. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, but, but, but we do get Ted DiBiase on the mic talking about the Giant, who essentially shames Jeff Jarrett for not joining the NWO. Um, the Giant gets on pretty briefly, says he'll choke slam Jarrett in the middle of the ring. Transition to that match, the Giant versus Jeff Jarrett, who is being accompanied by Ric Flair. This is that, I don't this think- is that weird time where they had, like, all these members of the Horsemen, right? Like, yeah, Jarrett was in. But also like Mongo and Benoit, were they competing? Mm. Were they still at the time competing for a spot? Like I know at one point they were competing for a spot, and then they just beat mm. them both horsemen. Yeah, for a for um, a very brief period, that's what was going on, and then um, and then we'll see in the tag team match later um, that they actually paid Mongo to be in the yeah. horsemen, um, kind of you know as the muscle, I guess. Um, but this match is, it, it's, it's, it's there. It's your typical David versus Goliath match. Um, Jared doesn't come out of this looking incredibly smart. Um, you have, you have segments in this match where he's, where he's just basic moves, hoping to, uh, I guess, wear, wear down the giant. Um, but it, I mean, it was, it was fine for what it was. Um, you know, the giant looks strong, um, looking like he can only be defeated by some form of chicanery. Um, the thing I, Jared, Jared comes out of this looking like a schmuck a little bit because he's not smart in the ring. He's got to get help from flair to finish. Um, and then at the end of the day, we get all the horsemen in the ring and yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. That whole bit, it, Seemed like the whole match was designed to have a like WCW standing tall moment. 
And like, this is where Shivani has gotten a lot better. And maybe it's just, I don't know, who knows? Maybe it was just the way they wanted them to shoot like this invasion angle. But he's yeah. He's like, how how tough are you now, giant? Yeah, you yeah. You you're not gonna fight now when the uh, numbers are against you. You know, you're 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 not gonna fight anybody. It's like, well, there's five guys standing in the ring, and two of them have chairs. Yeah, um, he's not. You know, that that's smart. Who who's doing that? Nobody. <laughs> Essentially, so the finish here um, is that the giant goes to choke slam. Jeff Jarrett out, outside of the ring um, and Nick Patrick standing right there on the apron Flair, the dirtiest player in the game comes low blows the giant. Um, the giant wins by disqualification. Um, I did give this a one count. I thought it was fine for what it was, um, but this didn't in WCW for Jeff Jarrett um, only lasted until the following October. October, where he would return for the to the WWF. He was there for two years, and then back to WCW, where he was Mister Slapnuts. Yep. Um, and uh, what did what did you grade this? I, uh, I graded this a no contest. Oh, okay. I, I did right. not care for it. Um, the whole purpose of this evening was kind of to give the end of show the NWO taking firm control. Um, and this, I mean, it still makes the giant look strong because he just ate the chair shot and it was like, mm-hmm. okay. But yeah, the horsemen kind of stand tall for a moment. Um, so I don't know. I, I didn't care for it. Uh, yeah. It almost like an unnecessary match. Um, so cutting back to the NWO corner up in the stands, um, DiBiase back on the mic, this time speaking on behalf of Six, better known as the 123 Kid or X-Pac. Um, he says that Jared, Bo, and, and they say this about seven times within this two-minute promo here. Um, they both say that Jericho's a fine young, a fine young, but he's just in the right place at the wrong time, leading to the match between Six and Chris Jericho. Um, gosh, I really got my feels as soon as as soon as Jericho's Lionheart theme came on, uh, it's it's just one of those. It's another one of those themes as far as the cruiserweight division in WCW goes. I mean, I can't remember a bad WCW cruiserweight theme that was bad. It's funny because I kind of marked for Dean Malenko's. Oh, <laughs> there's not a whole lot there that you know anybody could blame you for. Um, but this but this match was decent. Um, Essentially, um, this match is here um, to build to the to, to next month's pay per view, um, uh, where we will get uh, Chris Jericho versus Nick Patrick, um, where where uh, where Jericho would have one arm tied behind his back. Leave it to Jericho. Um, so a gimmick match, even back in '96. Hey. Uh, so, um, so, so towards the end of this match here, we get a line salt from Jericho falls up with a, with a, with a Sonata esque O'Connor roll into a bridge. Um, it's right about this time that we noticed that Nick Patrick is slow counting for Jericho. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah. And it's, and, and it's all about the cell job. Um, Jer- uh, Jericho, 
hits a springboard crossbody for definitely a three count. Um, but 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 that neck just really bothering Nick Patrick. So um, get their best though. Yeah. So then as he's getting in his face, um, six tank takes advantage. Hit, hits a hits a spinning heel kick out of nowhere for the win. Um, and then post match it further fuels the fire um, as Jericho getting in the face of Nick Patrick. Um, I thought as the match overall though, I thought it was a. a I gave it a one and a half count um, comparable to about a three-star match. Um, DB had it before the match that Jericho was a, was an exceptional athlete. Um, I wanted more though. Um, I, I think that what we were saying about the last match um, where, where this was supposed to be kind of the NWO's coming out party. And this was supposed to be about building them up. Um, this was definitely that because six dominated the match for the most part. And, um, you know, it, it, it just furthers the storyline that, um, the NWO would have Nick, uh, Nick Patrick on the payroll. Um, but I, but I gave it a one and a half count. I thought, I thought it was an average match. Um, both guys look good. Um, even with the chicanery finish. Um, what, what did you I have? I gave it a Um, Going back and watching this made me realize that maybe I undervalue a little bit of uh, Six or X-Pac or Waltman, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I kind of undervalued that he was a much better worker than I really remember just because you kind of remember all the other things about him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they put on a really really quality match and, <laughs> and uh, you know, not surprising that you know, we're talking about that with Jericho, you know, being in the argument for GOAT status. Mm, for sure. Uh, so, again, an awkward transition now. Mike Tanay backstage, total package, Lex Luger. Um, and we're going to get the Arn Anderson versus Lex Luger match. Um, essentially, this this match came up um, at the previous month's War Games. Um where he was the one that, that ate the submission in that match. Um, essentially, uh, essentially Arn calling him throughout this mini feud, just, you know, not tough. Um, so, you know, Luger come, comes out and says, oh, you know, I'm going to put the loss at War Games on me. Um, and then turns around and says that he will not only beat Arn Anderson, but he'll make him suffer in the torture rack. Um, I, I have mixed emotions about this match because I don't because I, I expect more more from Arn Anderson um, but he's got to carry the dead weight <laughs> that is 270 pounds of Lex yeah, Luger yeah, Lex, um, Lex Luger just as bad as you remember him yeah yeah it's rough um, hard to under, but, understand I mean I, I get it look wise but uh, but no nah, man he just Hard to understand why he got so many chances. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the end of this match, we have both men on the outside. Arn goes for a pile driver. Uh, Lex reverses and catapults him into the ring post. Uh, follows up with a suplex. Lex Luger grabs a steel chair, cracks it over Arn's back three times, rolls him back into the ring, gets him to submit to the torture rack. Um, he does not let go at the bell, though. This is this is the new aggressive side 
of Lex, of, of Lex Luger. Um, but after a few moments, uh, he does um, he does let go. Um, the um, the finish stands um, in a strange. It, in a it's very strange what happens next. Um, you know, we get um, we get Flair and Jarrett down down to the ring, and um, they and they have a stretcher come down for Arn Anderson um, because of his back injury. Um, yeah, this is like the beginning of the end for in-ring Arn. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was tough tough to watch because you weren't sure if it was the end of the road because of his age or if it was storyline. Um, this is also the time in professional wrestling where we were starting to blur that line a little more um, between uh, between fiction and reality. Um, but um, I gave it a one one count. It was very one note. But a lot of it was because um, it was because of Lex Luger. Um, he's he's in the Mongo world of of that botches un, uncontrollably. Yeah. Um, um, but it was kind of a glorified squash. Arn had a hot start, but um, fizzled out at the end. Um, what did you give this one? Uh, with you on the one count. You know, it, it serves the purpose to tell the story, but you know, Arn was in the twilight of his career, and Lex is just bad, so it didn't didn't have a ton of potential. Yeah, um, but it but it's very interesting though on commentary. Um, as we transition into the next match, um, they say on commentary that um, that Arn is on his way to the hospital, and. And that um, Flair and Jarrett are on the way with him. It's very important as we get um, to this next match. Lee Marshall now backstage with Colonel Robert Parker, Sister Sherry, and Harlem Heat. Uh, that is Booker T and Stevie Ray. Um, essentially, um, they all they all get their pieces in here during this little backstage promo. Um, but the overall message at the NWO stuck their nose in their business and they are going to take it to them later tonight. Um, we do get a tag team match in between that though. Uh, so we have the faces of fear, uh, which are Meng and the barbarian being accompanied to the ring by Jimmy Hart taking on uh, two parts of the four horsemen, uh, Steve Mongo McMichael and Chris Benoit. And they are being accompanied to the ring by Deborah and woman also known as Nancy Benoit. Um, I was, I came into this match very um, um, kind of, kind of having the bar a little lower. Um, honestly, what I've seen of the barbarian on previous uh, referees discretions, um, I've not been impressed, um, but I think that with this match, um, you have you have Meng, who is a capable worker in the ring. Uh, Chris Benoit, who is undoubtedly one of the best technical wrestlers to ever step in the squared circle. Um, you know, and you can kind of let them carry it a little bit. But even with the um, advanced spots that he got in this, um, he looks good. There was one spot um, he has he has he has Benoit up on the top rope and he climbs up to get him, and it's an overhead. And it's an overhead suplex, but he 
Dunier tosses him out of the ring. Um, I thought he was going to bounce and like do the whole Ric Flair over the over the turnbuckle and onto the apron. Um, but no, I thought I thought that they looked strong. Um, Mongo and you know Chris Benoit looked good. Um, ultimately, though, um, Mongo um, ends up. Ends up cracking Meng in the head with the with the Halliburton briefcase. Yes, uh, yes. Um, Benoit goes to the top, hits the diving headbutt, and gets the win. Um, before we get into the post match shenanigans uh, that took place, what did you think of the match? Uh, you know, it was what it was. Benoit was stellar as usual, and Mongo was Mongo. The <laughs> Faces of fear or the faces of fear or, you know, the wild savages or whatever they were being called at this point in their career. Uh, wild, yeah. the wild Tongans. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was really great to uh, see that um, Chris, Chris Benoit can kind of do everything you need him to in the ring. And I think, Ultimately, what led to him, well, well, I guess, ultimately led to WCW putting the world title on him before he jumped ship. Um, but he looks like an absolute star here, obviously. And Yeah, I mean, it was evident always, I mean, from an early, early time that he was just uh, meant for stardom. And uh the weird thing I felt about this was it seemed like, well, not like this pay-per-view in particular. The weird thing I thought about this whole storyline with him, though, was it always felt like Mongo was the one that they seemed to want to try and get over more, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that it, it it's very evident in his matches early on in his professional wrestling career that he had no blue idea what the heck he was doing. He was greener than a green bean. He was awful. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's very, I, I think it's more, I, I think you can see it more clear in matches where he's with, um, say, you know, like a Meng or even like a Chris Benoit in this match um, where he's in the ring with a more experienced guy where he's trying to call spots in the ring. Um, and he's just not, he's just not capable of doing that yet. Yeah. Um, but as far as the, let's be honest. Yeah, true. Um, but then as far as the post-match shenanigans, um, bar, uh, a barbarian grabs the briefcase and, and, and it's Mongo with it. And then you get, um, the faces of fear taking care of Mongo and Benoit in the ring. And then something we haven't mentioned yet, the dungeon of doom has been sitting in the crowd. Yeah. Um, they very briefly, um, pan to them, uh, during, during the Arn Anderson match, um, obviously setting the seeds up for this, which I thought was fantastic. Um, eventually, you know, you have, you know, the dungeon of doom, um, and, and essentially they just go and, you know, kidnap woman, essentially um and for a very brief moment you know benoit's fighting everybody off and you think he's standing tall but then you know the number of his game ends up being a little bit too much here 
You know, how weird to have to be going through all of that when you consider like watching Dark Side uh, of the Ring and knowing everything that went on between, you know, woman Kevin Sullivan and her, you know, her relationship with him. And then like she's being abducted by him with a storyline and like, oh my gosh. What? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it was and it was killing um, when you know towards the end of this whole segment when you know when when he had Kevin Sullivan turn and then he says to woman, "Let me show you why I'm still the man." Yeah, and if and like you said, having watched Dark Side and then now watching this, uh, it's 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 just very chilling to think that you know you know. And this is '96, so about a decade later um, was when was you know when the wrestling world would be shocked or tragedy. Yeah. Um, but um, it's crazy. Overall, though, um, I gave this a one and a half count. It was it was very hard hitting. Um, it was a clean match, all all except for Mongo. I think he slipped like twice. Um, all in all, everybody got their spots in. Everyone ended up looking all right. Um, I get the finish um, as far as, you know, Halliburton and, you know, all that, but it, I wasn't for it. Um, what did you give the match? Give it a one count. Okay. Um, I mean, he's just, I don't know. It, it, again, this was like a time filler. Yeah, because it, it, it was all setting up going, you know, from you know, the next match. Well, from this match to the next next match, and it's weird again because I know we've already mentioned, um, you know, just just how the show really wasn't put together that well. Yeah. Um, as far as 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 far as transitions. Yeah. Um, so we had the so we had the backstage stuff, you know, where where we had Harlem Heat, and then this match, and then we jump right to Ted DiBiase again up in the corner where you know the NWO banner is. Um. He says, we got two down and two to go. Um, also says Harlem Heat can't do anything about what's going to happen um, because they are next on the hit list. Um, so directly into that match, we have the Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash taking on Harlem Heat. Um, as we've already talked about, Booker T and Stevie Ray. Um, they are with Sister Sherry, Colonel Robert Parker, and they are the current WCW Tag Team Championships. Titles are on the line. Um, I honestly really enjoyed this match until the last couple of moments. Um, you know, everybody got their spots in. Um, they hit the Harlem Hangover. God, God, I love the Harlem Hangover. It's 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 one of the best tag team maneuvers. Um, I mean, it's right up there. I think you know with the heart attack. Um, and then, and then the doomsday device, it's right up there with all of them. Um, I think, I think that with the goal as, um, as you stated earlier was to get the NWO over. Um, and I think the, I think kind of the sub goal here was to not, was to not diminish anything or any star power that CW already had. Um, and I think that this match did a really good job with that. Um, 
especially because Harlem Heat still comes out looking strong in this match. Yeah, they got um, screwed. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, like you said, you know, they the old, hit the, the Harlem old Colonel. Yeah, they hit they hit the Harlem Hangover. Um, so the refs getting Booker T out of the ring. Um, so then, so I don't understand this either, and this is why I bumped it down a grade from what I initially had this. Um, Colonel Parker gets in the ring. All you have to do is just stay outside, and it's a three. It's a win. You're going to retain the titles. Um, but then you have Kevin Nash, who steals his cane. Um, he hits Stevie Ray in the back twice with it, and he literally just lays Scott Hall over top of him to get the win. Um, or you just slowly, like, like – Oh, yeah. So like, it's like, I think they're just laying there. Yeah. For yeah you're, maybe 20 you're, or 30. You're right. You're right. And then he just rolls himself over. Um, it almost reminds you of um, it almost reminds you of WrestleMania 19 when you had Triple H and Booker T and he hits that pedigree and it literally takes almost 30 seconds for Triple H to make the pin and then eventually gets the win, which in which in wrestling, which in wrestling logic, though, if it takes that long to make the pin, then you kick out. Um, but I guess. <laughs> As the pedigree is is just one of the most devastating moves in wrestling history. Unless Sue um, so Young does so it, Colonel Robert Parker's king. Unless Sue um, Young does it, because Sue Young did a pedigree and didn't even keep Deion Perazzo <laughs> down. <laughs> um, what did what did you think of the match, though? I gave it to uh, two count. Mostly, I think more for my nostalgia of both teams. Uh, obviously, I've mentioned I'm a big NWO mark, but I loved Harlem Heat. I was devastated when they broke Harlem Heat up, mm. uh, even though Stevie Ray joined uh, NWO. And um, man, I forget, I forget exactly how the storyline went, but like they took Booker T's gear and like threw it out or something, and he was wrestling in like these little black speedo number because it's all he can find he's like basically wrestling in his underwear and yes yeah it ended up being that they had a match um eventually it was um i know there was stevie ray involved and i can't forget the other guy but then eventually you would you would you would have ahmed johnson um who was <laughs> the pearl river power yeah um, and at that point in his in his career, he was he was severely overweight. Um, it was it, it was a match to get you know the T uh, part of their name, um, and of course uh, Ahmed Johnson would win. His name would be Sweet T um, in WCW, but that wouldn't last long. Um, but it's funny because you had Booker T who would go on for a short period of time. Uh, to be known as GI Bro, um, with <laughs> it's 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 very hard to believe that um, he recovered from the GI Bro gimmick. Um, uh, misfits in action, man. That is like yeah. one of the most awesomely bad factions in the history of wrestling. Yeah, like, you, lo you loved them, but their gimmicks were so god awful. Yeah. Um, Especially during the time period that Chavo was, was riding like a wooden horse out. 
Hey, he was he was what doing was that? that in 1996. What was that Panchito? Um, some something like that. That um, actually, actually, no, it was it was it was Pepe. I, I was gonna say I might be making Panchito up because I was watching that uh, <laughs> the um, Ducktales no. Three Caballeros with my nephew recently. <laughs> he rode he rode that horse out for his match. Um, against Stevie Ray at Road Wild '96. Oh, uh, that's the only reason why I remember that. Oh my God. <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah. That was a thing pre uh, pre joining. Uh, what's it called? Misfits in action. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, but I gave it a one and a half count. Um, I was I was gonna give it a two. I thought everybody looked good, and then the finish really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, so I gave it a one and a half count. But that's not why we're here. We're here for the main event of the evening. Um, but before we get to that, we have Hollywood Hulk Hogan now on the mic in the NWO corner, um, taking um, taking the place of Ted DiBiase on the mic. Um, he starts to flog uh, three ninjas high, high noon at Mega Mountain. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember um, that three ninjas movie. Oh, it's bad. Um, I mean, I mean, in in general, I mean, the three ninjas movies were made for kids. The first two were great, and then there was this one, and it was oh, uh, his uh, his name in the movie was Dave Dragon. Was he the bad guy? I do guy? remember that because no, he was he was a good guy, and his theme song was like "Go Dave Dragon, Go Dave Dragon." Like, like was it and, an actual theme or like? That's what yeah, played yeah, when he no, came out. No, like he was, he was like a, he was like a television. Superhero oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, so um, that's good. Yeah, oh, forget about that. Um, <laughs> um, but he goes on to plug in that he still has um, the hairstyle um, that he had in the movie on. Um, which is very comical because it's like a spiky flat top. They got a lot of mileage out of that, if I remember correctly. Like a little there, bit. There yeah. was there was a lot. There was a, a good measure of time where he was continuing to wear that and having it like ripped off of him. Yeah, um, it would it would it would kind of be the joke of the match um, whenever he was competing, um, but. He essentially goes on to say that since he's done beating up Hollywood, um, he is now back to take care of Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, so we get we get the whole shebang. We get we get Michael Buffer doing doing all the in, the introductions. He's behind on like everything because you have Hogan in the ring. His music, you know, the NWA music's already been playing, and then. And then, like, they do a double take. They, they play Savage's theme for, like, five seconds. Then they cut it. And then they start playing it again. And as they play it the second time, you get Michael Buffer starting the introductions for Hulk Hogan. And oh it's, it's so weird. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was it was really bad. Um, but that was... I, I kind of feel like whether or not they were doing something special, like WCW had a lot of these problems uh, over the course of several years. 
Like production yeah. always. Like I don't really know if they were using like similar production crews. Like we talked about AEW on the WrestleCast before COVID. Mm-hmm. Like they're just picking up like local stagehands outside of their core group. You yeah. Know? Like, is that what WCW did, you know, compared to Raw having a full-time army of staff members? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was a minute behind. But once but once Savage comes out from the back, he gets a huge, massive pop. Um, he, he walks up to the side. He starts to motion some, something over. It's the monster truck that the girl won that we talked about earlier in the show. This thing is absolutely impressive. It, it is a monster truck, and it has this giant yellow cowboy hat on it. And I wish I would have been able to win this thing in 96 when I was six years old. I would have lost my collective mind if I would have won this dang, dang thing. So, so, so we get Savage in into the ring and, and we have Hogan and he's with DiBiase and, and the giant. And he says, and he says, you know, you got to get those goons out of here. So the referee kick, kicks them out, but they don't really leave. They just kind of maul around and <laughs> gosh. And then the match starts and I swear it was five minutes and there was only like one like small piece of contact. Um, I think I think that it was a headlock from I think it was a headlock from Hogan, and it's it's a lot of stalling, a lot of powdering, um, a lot of chasing. Um, but then once the action gets going, um, you have. You have Savage who steals Hogan's glasses. He's had his sunglasses on the entire match to this point. So we're probably about a third, um, probably between a third and a half of the way through through the match. Um, <laughs> and Hulk Hogan's still wearing his glasses, which means this is a phone job. We're just calling this one in. Um, but then, but but you have Savage who steals the glasses and he's put and he and he puts them on. So Savage grabs Hogan's hair. To go and punch him, so he punches him, <laughs> and in his hand is the wig from Hulk Hogan's head, and Savage puts it on his own head, and oh my god, Savage! And he kind of looked like Guy Guy uh, Guy Fieri for a second, um, and it's like <laughs> I know I I know we're phoning this in, you know, but this is the main event of like what you would consider probably one of the big four pay-per-views. <laughs> and this is what we're getting. Like, it, it's absolutely crazy to think that this is that, that, that this is the main event of a Halloween happening. It seems like the whole point of this match was for the payoff after the match. Yeah. Which um, is sad because you hear Macho and, and Hulk and you expect, like, superpowers – Type yeah. effort, you know, some sort of, you know, Goliath and, you know. <sighs> well, we do eventually, speaking of mega powers, we do get Miss Elizabeth who makes her way to the ring. Um, we, um, Hogan uses her as a human shield a couple of times um, in his typical heel, heel ways. Um, 
they do this spot about three times um, where, where, where you, where you have, we have Hogan and he has Miss Elizabeth in front of him as a shield and then throws her at Savage and then starts running again, gets into the ring. And then it's just like, it just repeats a couple times. And like, <laughs> if we didn't want to have an 18 minute match, we didn't have to. And we did, you know, though. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Um, yeah. But then eventually Hogan with the big boot goes for the leg drop. And then you have Elizabeth who gets in the way. All right. This is when the chicanery starts. Um, Hogan would eventually go for the leg drop. He would miss. Um, we get a ref bump. This is the best part. We get we get a ref bump. Um, so we so we need to replace a referee. We got to have somebody come out and finish this match. It's not going to be me. It's going <laughs> to be Nick Patrick. Of course. Um, um, with Nick with neck brace and all um obviously him and a couple of referees are out trying to um you know you know tending to the official that took the ref bump um so sad so as all this is going on savage hit hits a scoop slam goes up it's it's the elbow drop um (laughs) and it's gotta be a three count because hogan looks like he's dead um so you have nick patrick goes one two and then his old neck injury Oh, oh you know, just, yeah, yeah, it's just a bad neck injury. Um, but he does stop short of three. Um, Savage goes back up to to the top. Um, but then DiBiase pull, pulls him down. Um, the giant choke slams Savage onto the floor outside, rolls him in, pulls Hogan on top of him for the win. NWO go 4 0 for the night. Damn um, yeah. Um what did um what did you grade this one? I I gave it I I was between a half count and a one count. And again, nostalgia does a lot for me. I love the old old guard. Um, but this was a tough match to watch. Not a lot of continuity. Uh and you know it's every everything you would expect in a match to to keep Hogan over as he got older, you know. Uh, yeah. Let him let him eat some fists, and then he'll powerbomb you, and it'll be all over. Yeah, and this is and this is really sad too, because uh, I gave I gave this a zero. I can't zero. It, wow. It, it, it was an absolute mess, no matter how you look at it. Um, I think that, you know, just, you know, the story of, you know, Hogan coming back, um, yeah. you know, forming, you know, the new world order, um, yeah. you know, and then you have Savage who's, you know, on who is on a winning streak and they're building him up to be this grand opponent. He is slim jimmed out. He's got the slim jim truck. Everything is perfect for him to win, and they just don't give it to no. him. And I thought it was terribly booked. I thought that the shenanigans, um, to as, as as far as a ratio, um, shenanigans um, to the actual in in ring action, you probably had about 80-20 split. Yeah, it was bad um, there. Yeah. Now, it, now it, the thing that happens post fight is that a part of your count? 
no, no, no. Um, separate, separate entity altogether. This is the um, I don't, I don't grade the pre and post. Um, uh, okay. just grading the actual match as it is. Okay. Um, however, um, I do, I do give my, I do give my critique when it is necessary for moments like this. Um, so post match, we'll get right to it. Um, giant kind of you know bumbles a big uh, bucket of ice water down to the ring. He spills it getting into the ring, but Dom dumps on Hogan. Hogan's all of a sudden revitalized. Um, you know, he says he's the real king of Hollywood. And then you hear the bagpipes and it's a slow build. I got chills immediately. Um, but you hear the bagpipes, the crowd's kind of in, in, increasing in volume. And then out from the back, it's Rowdy Roddy Piper the crowd loses their collective mind. Um, this is his WCW debut. Um, Hogan's acting is wonderful here. It's just this, just just these over-the-top facial expressions. Um, he hides behind the giant as Piper gets into the ring. <laughs> um, I didn't think much of the promo, honestly. Um, but just the fact that, you know, um, Hogan just had this god-awful match, and then now we have Rowdy Roddy Piper, um, who, of course, is not in his heyday oh, anymore. No. Um, but, I mean, neither was Hogan or I, Mach at this point. I mean, yeah. you were, yeah. you were um, selling name, and you are selling a brand versus you know, a oh, yeah. quality wrestling match. Yeah. Um, how did how did you react to this? Okay, so I'm biased because I hate Roddy Piper. <laughs> I I can't stand Roddy Piper. Um, I judge why people love him. He's just never he's never been a guy that I cared for. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I just it never stuck with me. He's just always been an obnoxious character. And being a Hogan mark, um, just the the over-the-top looks of fear that Hogan gave um, were ridiculous. Um, And this was, you know, this is the thing, and this is why the NWO only worked for so long, was Hogan didn't understand the change in the business. He was doing the same thing that, that heels did to him for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what screwed him is like, you know, if I'm Hulk Hogan, I, I am not afraid of Roddy Piper. You know, you sniveling little wuss, you do not, yeah. you know, my, my Python are going to squeeze the life out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know. It was a good surprise. It worked into a good booking in the Starcade. I understand it. I just, I can't say anything positive about Roddy Piper. I that's where I'm at. I just, I don't like Roddy at all. Um, I've never been a fan. So the feud, it would, it would, it would be almost a full year. Um, they would have the cage match at next year's Halloween Havoc. Um, Hogan lost the belt to him, I think. Um, so 
I don't know if he had the belt on him at the time, but in the two matches that they had against each other, um, and it was a singles match, um, Roddy won one of both, um, which is unheard of. Um, but so Halloween Havoc of 97, the feud was over. Um, Roddy would win the U.S. Heavyweight Championship three times while uh, during his remaining years in WCW, and he was released in July of 2000. Um, but that is how the show ends. Um, overall, um, what did what did you grade the show here, Pat? I would give it a one and a half count overall. Um, the again, the nostalgia, seeing characters and 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 people that you haven't seen in a long time brings you a lot of joy. Um, but I mean, the work rate was not very good. The booking, you know, I understand that you want to get everybody over in the NWO and you're getting the NWO over, but like, I don't know, do it in a different way. Like mm-hmm. every, every match had to be hook or crook. Mm-hmm. And um, like they, they weren't, that wasn't their, their bit. Like, yeah, they were going to do everything to win the matches, but, like, what got people interested in them wasn't, like, these funny little skits. It was Powerbomb and Bischoff off the stage. It was, you know, just beating Rey Mysterio, using him like a lawn dart, you know. Uh, So I, I never really got the booking because... It was almost like they couldn't win and look strong. They always had to steal wins. And it's just kind of that old old wrestling gimmick on, on the bad guys. Like, they have the bad guy win. They can't just be a strong heel and, and win matches. Um, but, you know, this was mid-'90s WCW. You had some really, really good stuff going on, like the cruiserweights. Uh, we talked about Dean Malenko and Ray had an incredible match. Uh, <clears throat> and again, like that was everything that was right about WCW. And then you could watch and continue and watch and you understand what was everything wrong with WCW at that time as well. Oh, for sure. Um, I gave it two and a half out of five stars, which is equivalent to a one or one and one or one and a half count. Um, Rick Flair award for this show goes to, Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio and the Cruiserweight Championship match. Uh, the Russo Award obviously goes to Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage. Um, everything you said was on was on point. Um, overall, just a just a very average show. Um, I thought the tag matches um, kind of went above expectation. Um, everything else was average. Um, but like you said, the cruiserweight division on top of the wrestling world at this point um, is the whole division is the star here. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely incredible. Um, that, that really was, in, it was incredible because they did have seven or eight guys that at any time could, could be the cruiserweight champ. And it was believable. I mean, that belt yeah. hot potatoed between. Malenko, Rey Mysterio, Jericho, LaParca, Ultimo Dragon. Like, there were so many dudes. Juventud Guerrera. Um, 
and you could go on if you wanted to because there was you know super callow mm-hmm. um but yeah just a, a lot a lot of really great wrestlers and um you wish that they would have supported that more maybe the first time around yeah um but those are our thoughts on wcw and halloween havoc 96 what did you think of the event? Leave your thoughts in the comments below. Remember to watch WrestleCast live every Monday and Thursday on Facebook and YouTube and listen on the go on Apple Podcast. Uh, be on the lookout for the Dean of Old School Dwight Parker's debut show of Do Your Darn Homework. Uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and follow to Podcast World Order. Um, if you like what you're doing and you would like to support us, um, you can find us on Kofi at the link in the description box. Um, uh, Patrick, where can they find you on social media? Uh, Twitter at, at Mr. Lily, M-I-S-T-E-R-L-I-L-L-Y, and Instagram, Patrick Lily, L-I-L-L-Y, 7150. Those are my handles. Both of those will be in the description box as well. Also, head over to our YouTube page um, and check out uh, his show, Creative Control. Um, we won't be having a second episode. Uh, here in the next few weeks so keep your ears and eyes open for that for next week's episode we will have the final part of referees discretion trick or treat series with a review of wcw halloween havoc 1999 if you haven't figured it out already um the final um special guest enforcer for this episode uh, will be the host of PWO WrestleCast on Mondays and Thursdays. That is Mr. Matthew Lilly. Um, so please uh, tune in to WrestleCast and you will be reminded of such. Uh, from everyone here at Podcast World Order, thank you for watching. And remember, at the end of the day, it's referee's discretion. I'm Cod Sinclair, and we'll see you next time.